Amen. I like that. The ending, too. Amen. All right, let's open our Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading in verse 4. We're going to read through uh, verse 11, the end of the chapter. Revelation chapter 4. Verse 4. And shall we stand, please, for the reading of God's Word? Revelation 4 and verse 4. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like under crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, the third beast had the face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. If you look back at verse 4, it says, And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And tonight, that's what I want to talk about, uh, crowns of gold. I've been thinking about this for a while and uh, revisiting some things. This is very, very important. And uh, trying to encourage you to keep up the good work. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you bless your people. Use this time to lift us up, uh, encourage us, build us up. Help us to remember that this is the, an eternal work, the greatest work. Uh, on the planet. Amen. We pray that we would see it that way, give it our all with the spirit of excellence, Amen. that we put our hands to the plow, not look back, that we'd understand the significance of the hour, the day in which we live, the time of prophecy and the last of the last days, and that you would strengthen us, help us to provoke one another unto love and unto good works, so much the more as we see the day approaching. We pray that your spirit would do all the work. We yield to him that he would lead us as to what to say and how to say it. And you'd open our eyes, our understanding, and our heart to receive the truth that we could be busy. For the night cometh when no man can work. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Um, crowns of gold. You know, a lot of times when you're soul winning, 
and someone is receptive and positive, they want to hear about the good news of the gospel and how they can be saved through faith in Christ. Once you tell them and they pray the sinner's prayer, you know, the next step is what's next? What, what is the next thing for their life? And uh, I was with Brother Powell on Saturday. First guy we talked to had some kind of a laughing sickness. Uh, lights were on, nobody was home. But uh, every question he would laugh. You know, do you know where you're going when you die? <laughs> yeah, and he, he was being genuine. He didn't care. Uh, but anyway, he had this laughing, some spiritual sickness. I don't know what it was. But the next guy, you know, very somber guy, very kind of a down-to-earth guy, very quiet. And then, you know, he did listen, receive Christ. But then after that, you know, it's like, what do I tell him? You know, you need to get busy serving God Amen. because he saved you. And we went through some of that. But it's very important that we understand what is life after you get saved? What, what is the meaning of life after you receive Christ as your Savior? A lot of people have this idea that we're either going to be blue-eyed, blonde angels floating on a cloud, playing a harp throughout eternity. As the eons pass, other people think some type of disembodied spirits. Uh, other people think heaven is whatever you want it to be. Uh, your idea, which you've contrived in your own mind. But the reality is, the Bible tells us the new Jerusalem, heaven, is a real place. Just as real as this earth. And we will receive rewards based upon our service. And it's not just going through the motions. It is worth it. It will be worth it. It already is worth it. We can't quit. We have to keep up the good work. Because in service, there's a principle in God's Word which is based on the morality of God Himself. The laborer is worthy of his hire. Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth the corn. You will get rewarded. God is not taking advantage and so there's this principle that governs God's creation and the principle of the judgment uh, seat of Christ when our works will be tried by fire. So the reward that we will receive, these crowns of gold is a part of it, is very just because it's based on a law of God of equity and shall not the judge of the earth do right. Yes, he always has. And he always will. So we do believe we're going to get rewards, and we're going to talk about that. And you ought to work because you will get rewarded Amen. at the right time. And when he cometh, the Bible says, his reward is with him. And he's coming very soon. Amen. The rapture is imminent. There's no prophecies yet to be fulfilled that are hindering the rapture. That means it could happen right now. Any second, it is imminent. Amen. So that's a motivation. But that's not really our motivation. I don't serve God for rewards. I know I'm getting them. It doesn't. 
That's like an afterthought. Why do we serve God? Because we love Him. We love Him because He first loved us. And these crowns of gold are, the Bible calls it, incorruptible. They're, they will never pass away. They will endure throughout eternity. They will persevere through the eons and eons of the worlds to come. And these crowns of gold are reserved for kings. So according to Revelation 1.6, God hath made us kings and priests unto himself. And, and we will be rewarded. These crowns will be placed upon our brow. But why do we really do this? Because we are a bondservant set free. In the Old Testament and the Old Testament culture, there was a law that at the Jubilee, all the slaves were set free. 70 times 7 years, 49 plus 1 was the Pentecost, but you had the Jubilee. All debts were forgiven. All sin was forgiven. All the slaves were set free. And then the bondservant can make a decision. If he so loved his master, he would back against the wall and they would take an awl and a hammer and drive it through his ear. And this would become a symbol of a lifelong servitude of ownership by free will of their own volition. They chose to serve the master. They were set free. They didn't have to. All the debts were forgiven. All the slaves set free, but yet the bonds, Paul said, I am a bondservant. And he said, I'm a debtor to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And the reason we do this, we love him because he first loved us. We don't do this out of manipulation or fear. We do this because he loves us. And I love that verse of Paul, and it totally changed my life. I am constrained by the love of Christ. The love of Christ changes lives. Not the iron will and the fist of God. It's his love wherewith he hath loved us. Now, I remember many, a couple decades ago, this heresy came out in independent Baptist churches. Uh, that whoever you lead to Christ is going to be your servant throughout eternity. So you need to get out there and win souls because they're going to serve you and they're going to be your slave. That's a pretty motivating factor, isn't it? Uh, but, uh, but why do you do it? Um, for Him. His, it says, His servants shall do what? Serve Him. That's right. I, mean, serve. I know there's going to be a hierarchy and things like that. But that's just a selfish motive. We should do everything we do out of love. Faith, hope, charity. And when you get to the high level of charity, you just do what you do because that's what you are. You're not looking for a reward or a pat on the back or any gratification or any reciprocation. Everything you do is because of true love. Now in this doctrine of rewards, we have rewards you earn, which you deserve it, and then are given to you justly after the judgment seat of Christ. 
And then you have the doctrine of rewards that can be lost after you earn them. But in between, before, uh, as you earn them and you're given them, you do something to lose them. This is a Bible doctrine. And then you have, ultimately, the rewards that you earn, you keep them and defend them, and then you are given them and you keep them and then you give them back to God the Father. So, I want to encourage you tonight. I thank you very much for your service. I love you. You're very, very important. You know, we can band together. We can work harder. We can do more. We can have more unity. We can put aside some piddly ego and things that rise up from time to time, minor disagreement. We can band together. The Bible says that unity is very pleasing in the sight of God. It was like the anointing oil that ran down the head of Aaron and down his beard. And we can encourage one another, provoke one another unto what? Love and good works. That's what we're here for tonight. You're supposed to provoke other church members to love God and to do good works for God. My job is to provoke you to go out and to love God more with all of your heart. We just sung the song and do more for God, not less, not to draw back, not to take a spiritual vacation. We need to pour on the power, step on. I mean, we need to do more. We don't have much time. The night cometh when no man can work. I fully believe that one of the reasons that there'll be tears that'll be wiped away in heaven mm -hmm. is we're going to weep to realize the time we wasted, that we didn't give it our all. We didn't do more. And praise the Lord, He'll even wipe away those tears. Now, contrary to most doctrine in these days. Christianity involves service. It, it, that's what it is. His servants shall serve him. The Bible says God is likened to an investor looking for a prophet. And the Bible says if you only do what you're supposed to do, you're unprofitable. We're supposed to go above and beyond to make God a prophet. Not just to get by, not just to do what we're supposed to do or have to do or our obligation. We're supposed to go above and beyond to earn God a profit. Now, you know, the old saying in the, uh, in the ranching business, if you break even, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> I think Miss Jane's dad was a rancher for I don't know how many years. Never showed a profit once on his income tax and he was honest never showed a profit you know very difficult to make a profit in some businesses and most of the time it's a loss they say well it's a write-off but breaking even is not a profit you're trying to make a profit for God so one of the obligations of the church is to urge each other provoke one another to serve God John 17, 4, Jesus said, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. He, didn't, he came to work. John 20, 21, we are sent to work. We sing the song, 
work for the night is coming. We sing the song, we'll work till Jesus comes. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a sacrifice. You will be misunderstood. You will suffer loss in this world, but it is worth it all. Ephesians 4.12, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So we thank God for the workers. Whatever you do, it's very important. You know, if you pick up trash in the parking lot, somebody's got to do it. If you take the trash out, that's not just a menial task. It's very, very important. If you're a Sunday school teacher or a soul winner or you pass out track or you work in the nursery or you mow the yard or you help with security or you work in the kitchen, you take out down the chairs, put the chairs back up over and over and over, vacuuming over and you know what it's like, dusting over and over and over. It's not, it's not only will be worth it all, it is worth it all, but we can always do more. Now the temptation comes because human nature is we want to see some results. Yeah. You know, every once in a while, you, right. you want to see some good results of your labor. But what happens when some time passes, you work very hard, you're not seeing much evidence, not much manifestation. What do we need to do? We need to remember what God said. He's coming. It will be worth it all. And His reward is with Him. And God doesn't pay good wages. He gives crowns of gold. Eternal, incorruptible, glorious crowns of gold. So what does the Bible say? Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. No matter how minuscule it may seem. You know, just showing up. At least you showed up. That's better than what most people can do. Now, once you get your body there, get your mind, your spirit there too. That, that's important. But, stay faithful. Keep up the good work. Don't quit. Don't turn back. Don't look back. Don't look to the well-watered plains of Jordan and pitch your tent toward Sodom like Lot did, the nep nephew of Abraham. Keep passing out tracks. You just never know. Put them on the windshield wipers at Walmart. Pass them out. Hide them. Put them anywhere you go. You never know what could happen. Your labor in the, in the Lord is not in vain. Someday we'll all wish we'd have done more. Yeah, that's right. Now, that's right. you know, I was thinking about that, and I may be wrong on this, but Brother Armstrong, he went soul winning with us for how many years? 20? 25? I, I lose track of time. And we, 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 at one time we said, we're going to go on Sunday afternoons. And it was burning hot. He hated hot and he hated cold. And when it was hot, he'd always say, can I have the shady side of the street? And, but anyway, to my knowledge, I don't think he ever won anybody. I'm, I'm not sure about that. I don't think he did. And he's in heaven right now. And he's going to get rewarded with crowns of gold. 
a soul winner's crown because he obeyed the Great Commission Amen. and he went. You know, sometimes we look too much for credit, accolades. Yeah. We want a ribbon or a trophy or somebody to lift us up. But what about Noah preached 120 years and only won his family? He couldn't even, he didn't even win somebody that was not his immediate family, and eight souls were saved by water, but he preached. And he was a preacher of righteousness. And he didn't quit. 120 years. Think about that. So it is worth it now. There are rewards now. You find a depth and a purpose and a meaning to get out of bed in the morning. To get up and to seek the Lord early while I may be found. And read your Bible and have your prayer time. And make your walk with God the most important thing in your life. It is worth it. And every once in a while, maybe. And we want it to happen a lot more. But something great will happen. Something big will happen. And somebody may tell you, yeah, you had a big impact on my life. And maybe you can win somebody to Christ. We want to win thousands to Christ. Uh, which is the greatest miracle of all. But it is worth it all. Every once in a while. And, but then what will happen? Sometimes you'll go through the monotony of the rut, of the doldrums of everyday life. And it gets a little bit boring maybe. And maybe you lose a little bit of momentum, so to speak. And maybe sometimes you just feel a little bit like your life's meaningless. And you need to go back to Bible doctrine. The just shall live by faith. You can't live by feelings. What does the Bible say? Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's right. It is worth it all. Amen. Now, think about it. What does the Bible say? Ye are my crown of rejoicing, those that you've led to Christ and influenced for Christ. And sometimes something great will happen. Sometimes it seems like nothing happens. And sometimes it seems like you'll say, well, why did I do that? I don't see any results. And then sometimes something will happen to lift up your heart and give you a little encouragement. But, you know, think about what Jesus went through. Remember when he healed the ten lepers and only one turned around to say thank you? It's an amazing story. Every once in a while, something great will happen. Once again, we want it to happen on a regular basis. But what if it doesn't? What is the motivation to keep us going? Now, we have discipline. We live by duty. We live by faith. But we need to look at the end. The end is better than the beginning, the Bible teaches us. And there will be rewards. Now, I'm just going to go through these briefly. You, you've heard some of these things before. This is just an overview. But when we walk through death, if the rapture doesn't happen, it's not the cessation of life. It's the door into eternal life. And for the saved, to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. And the Bible says, after the judgment seat of Christ, when our works are tried by fire, uh, first of all, you're going to receive a new body. And that body will differ in glory 
as it hath pleased him. So, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 To the degree we please God by faith, it will be proportionately manifested in the type and the glory of our body, which will be, a, you have bodies terrestrial, bodies celestial, and our glorified body will be made just like the body of Christ, will be transformed into His image in, the, in a moment. It says, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be made just like Him, and our bodies will differ in glory, and that body which you will have, which will differ from other bodies, you will live with that body throughout eternity. Now think about this body. We all have problems. You know, maybe you don't like something about your body. I like my body. There's some things I wish were a little different. Uh, but we all have weaknesses. We have strengths. But, you know, we have the hope of uh, going to heaven. But what about that body that'll never be changed. Oh yes, it will be glorious, but it will differ in glory. Now when you go out at the, at, on a clear night, you can see all the stars in the heaven. You can see how different bodies differ in glory. And some are so far away, you know, the twinkle, twinkle little star, it'll just twinkle. Some are very bright, vibrant and brighter than others. And you can see the difference. You know, think about the body of the resurrected Lord. How it was limitless in power and glory. The Bible says that, Mark 16, 12, He appeared in another form. He could just change. Luke 24, 31, He vanished out of their sight. He was just walking on the road to Emmaus. Just vanished. Luke 24, 36, He appeared in the midst of them. John 20, 19, When the doors were shut, Jesus appeared in the midst. Not walking through walls. Not quantum physics. He's the Son of God. All power is given unto Him. And His body was limitless in power. Now, I fully believe this. I think some Christians are going to be limited in their power. I don't know to what degree. Secret things belong to the Lord. How do we know but some will only walk? The Bible says we'll serve Him and of the increase of His kingdom there shall be no end. There will be worlds after this world, world after world after world after world throughout eternity. This is a fearful thing and you will enter that eternity with a body as it hath pleased Him now by faith and the more we do, the more glory that body will have. Now God knows our heart. He knows our motive. God wants us to love Him. What is the great commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and thy neighbors thyself. To have the true motive of love to release us of selfishness. Yeah. Amen. To do more for Him. Amen. You know the old saying, preachers will try to strike fear. It may be true. There could be some Christians sweeping up gold dust throughout eternity. 
At least you'll be there, but you may be sweeping up gold dust. I don't know. The secret things belong to the Lord. It's not a competition. But it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Tells me I need to do more. I can do more. I can do better. By the spirit of excellence, we can all grow in grace. We can all provoke one another unto love and good work. What can you do? What are you good at? How can you use that in the service of the Lord? And then you can do more in the service of the Lord and you can make excuses and you can pull back and look back and draw back and turn back and you can just do nothing but one day you're going to weep and the tears are going to flow because the night cometh when no man can work. So what does the Bible tell us? Our bodies will differ in glory. Secondly, there will be some type of authority that these crowns of gold entail. And it says in Revelation 2.26, He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Now, the Bible says he'll give some power over one city, some over five, some over ten. Do you believe that? And I remember Brother Hiles, he used to say, I want to be over Hammond, I think, or Chicago, greater area, and I'm going to rule this place with the rod of iron with and for Christ. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but there's going to be levels of authority. So what does it say? In hell, some will be beaten with few stripes, some with many. The fire of hell will be hotter for some. The torture of hell will be worse for some than others. And then it teaches that in heaven, the rewards will differ. Our bodies will differ in glory. You know, we need to wake it up. Wake up. A lot of people just think, well, I'm saved and I'll just, whatever. You know, I'm going into eternity. Well, at least you'll be there. But the Bible calls it saved so as by fire. Just getting in. There's something everybody can do for God. Amen. Now, not everybody preaches. Not everybody teaches. Every work is great for God. Little as much when God is in it. What can you do? So think about it. One city, five or ten. There's going to be governors. I believe we're going to be like God's FBI and CIA and special forces and the NSA. And we're going to during the millennium, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. It says it. And He's going to rule for a thousand years with the rod of iron, and His law will be enforced with capital punishment and corporal punishment. It plainly tells. And those who are true and faithful will be higher ranking and have more governing power and enforcement of God's law. It's all in the Word of God. Amen. So we need to encourage ourselves. You know, when you feel like quitting, this will keep you going. I always think, now if I sell out, and I don't want to sell out and I'm not tempted, but if I compromised and turned back, what would I think of myself a million years from now? I can't even think that far. What would happen 500 years from now into eternity or a million years 
eons, which you cannot even measure eternity, would I like myself? How many tears would flow that the Lord would have to wipe away of regret and remorse of time and life wasted? So the reward, the crowns of gold, this denotes authority. It denotes riches. It denotes a kingdom. It denotes power. And according to 1 Corinthians 9.25, it is incorruptible. And so we should strive as we run the race for an incorruptible crown which will never tarnish, it will never wither away, it will never perish. Pure gold. Was it the gold of Ophir? Pure gold. Now, the Bible tells us there's a crown of soul winning. Philippians 4.1 If you're a soul winner, you're going to get a soul winner's crown. To what degree? I don't know. Is there a crown for every person you win? I don't know. Is there a crown for all those who just commit their life to souls? In some way, there's a crown of soul winning. Now, if you want to wear the crown, and so I'll get ahead of myself, but what is this all about? Not so you can walk around the new Jerusalem, look at my crown. The reason you get the crowns is we read in the text that you get the privilege yeah. to give the crowns back to the Father yeah. because all things were made by Him and for Him. Right. has nothing to do with us. You know what's sad is you don't have any crowns to give it. That's That would be very, very... I mean, think of the weeping and the wailing of the people who won't have any crowns. And, and when you want to show your love and you have nothing to give. There's a crown of rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 There's a crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy 4.8 there's a crown of life for those who endure temptation, James 1.12. And there's a martyr's crown, according to uh, 1 Peter 5.4. And there's, or excuse me, there's a shepherd's crown, uh, bishop, and there's a martyr's crown. Now, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2.5, we need to be involved in lawful works. Lawful work. And lawful works have a built-in reward. Because there's a principle in God's creation, as we mentioned, that the laborer is worthy of his hire. And if you're going to serve God, you have to do it lawfully. You can't be a criminal. You can't cheat. There's no shortcuts. You can't compromise. You can't be a sellout. You can't love the world. You've got to stay true to Christ. Do lawful works. So, First of all, you have the crowns of gold which you rightfully earn. We don't know how this happens exactly. And God will give them to us. So I want you to look at uh, Revelation chapter 3 and look at verse 11. And I want to warn you about somebody wants to take your crown. Look at Revelation 3, verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, 
that no man take thy crown. Now I want to warn you. Men are thieves. And wicked, evil men want to take that which rightfully belongs to somebody else and they want to steal it from them. And so remember the wickedness of the devil. He knows that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, according to Matthew 25. He knows he's going to hell. What does he want to do? He wants to take as many down with him as he can. He wants to deceive as many as he can to keep them from going to heaven so that just out of pure spite and wickedness and pure evil, takes as many with him as he can. Now, these people who steal the crowns from God's people, who rightfully earn them, they don't get to take them for themselves. They do it for the, the pure pleasure of just theft and dishonesty and taking that which belongs, and they earned it, but they just want to take it from them. These are the apostate, compromising world lovers who want to take your crown. Now, what does it say? you got to hold fast. Now, what does that mean? If you quit, they're going to take your crown. If you don't hold the standard high and not compromise and change like the world changes, go whichever way the wind blows, they're going to take your crown. And it's not a thing, and it's not a place. It's just like Paul asked the Galatians, who hath hindered you? Who? It's always a who. And it says, no man, don't let a man take your crown. Right. Now, I don't know about you, and it, you say, well, that sounds pretty arrogant. Well, if you work for something, and you bought it, and you deserve it, why would you let somebody who has nothing to do with it take it away from you? A real man will stand up and fight for that which is his. And if any man provide not for his own, he's worse than an infidel, the Bible says. That's why you fight the beast at Ephesus. Now, let no man take thy crown. You've got to hold fast. This is why you can't quit. You can't Compromise. You can't trim your ways like Jeremiah said. You can't take the easy route. Take a shortcut. Pull back for a while. Why? Because when you do that, somebody's going to take your crown. Do you know the wicked people? It says in, uh, I think it's Proverbs, was it 1, 6 or 1, 8? When sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Sinners want someone to sin with and it indicts them when you turn to God and just out of pure wickedness, they want you to sin with them. And if you don't go their way and yield to the temptation and succumb to the peer pressure, they get mad. And they're looking for some way to pull you down. Some way to drag you down to a snake's belly level in the dirt, in the bottom of the ditch, just where they are. Because they don't like you being a man walking upright, living the resurrected life. They hate it when you don't sin with them. I remember when we got saved. The old crowd didn't do anything to them. But there were certain ones 
they had a goal, my brother can tell these stories, they would set traps just to try to pull us down. Let no man take thy crown. Let no man, I don't care if it's your wife, or if it's your daughter, or your cousin, or your grandma, let no man take thy crown. It's a crown of gold, and one day, praise the Lord, you know, just try to envision the glory of the throne of God and the emerald rainbow and the lightning bolts and the river of life shooting out of the throne. And you get to bow down and give your crowns to God and glorify Him. What a sad day to think. I suffered persecution and denied myself and earned a crown and I let someone take it from me. Now you can call it kick yourself, grit your teeth, whatever you will. There's going to be tears to wipe away. Let no man take thy crown. Let me read you another verse. In Colossians chapter 2, this is very important. Uh, just read this to you quickly. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward. They trick you. They deceive you in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Now, I'm not going to go into the doctrine of this. This is a very deep passage. The principle is, don't let someone trick you and deceive you by seeing things their way and the devil's way and the world's way of the easy way, of the sellout, compromise way, and take your reward. Now, a lot of people think, well, it's mine. You know, have you think about somebody stealing your paycheck. You worked all week for it, and it's yours. You deserve it. You worked hard. And then your pension plan, your investments, somebody comes in, steals your identity, and takes that which is rightfully yours. Let no man take thy crown, and let, don't let anybody beguile you through trickery. You know, and usually they whisper when they do it. Just watch out. You know who they are. Now let's talk this over. You're just a little bit too rough. You're just a little bit too man. You don't, you, you don't have enough love. Um, you got a bad attitude, whatever it is. You're supposed to have a good attitude when you're fighting off a burglar or a thief or a criminal or a crook. It ought to make you mad. You're not taking my crown. I've been working for this for 40 years. You think I'm going to sell out for you? You know, and I say that I'm not being smart, Ellie. I'm not, by the grace of God, you think I'm going to sell out after 40 years of hard work? No. We need to do more. Amen. Now, so let no man take it. They steal it. Let no man trick you, beguile you with the sales pitch. Don't fall for the con. You're bigger than that. You're better than that. Don't be simple. Have wisdom. And then, how are they going to do it lastly? 
with heresy or false doctrine. Now, I want, I want to read you this real quick. In uh, 2 John, famous passage, just beginning verse 7, says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Mormons, Jehovah Nitwit, uh, and say a bunch of other ones. Babylon, Mystery Babylon. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Who do you look to? You look to yourself. Look to yourselves, verse 8, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. So, it is possible to lose part of your reward, a percentage, or all of it, by catering to heretics. Heretics. You know, I don't run with them. I don't hobnob. I don't talk to them on the phone. I don't care if it's my cousin. I don't care if it's my mother's sister's favorite son. I don't care who it is. I don't hobnob with heretics. Let no man take thy crown. Do you realize they're giving people a false hope and they're the tongue of the devil by propagating their heresy? And for you to compromise out of a family or blood, blood's not thicker than water, by the way. The water of the Word of God is thicker. I don't care who they are. You know, by the grace of God, I want a full reward. I'm not joining the ministerial alliance so that we don't look like hard to get along with separatists, narrow-minded, archaic, troublemaking, Bible thumpers. Who cares what they think? I want a full reward. I want to lose it. Now, there's another thing we... I don't have time to go into it. We're out of time. But Hebrews talks about those you win to Christ, you're supposed to teach them and they grow in grace. They don't quit. They win souls to Christ. You did get a reward for that. You'll lose some reward if your converts compromise or turn back. Or if your children don't turn out right, you're going to suffer loss. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, let no man take thy crown. Now, if somebody's in a bad mood, maybe, and you say, what are you in a bad mood about? I'm trying to fight for my crown. Yeah. What's it to you? Yeah. And by the way, why are you so happy all the time? Anyway, that's kind of bothering me. So in conclusion, let's look at Revelation 22. You know, you go to Genesis, the book of beginnings, to learn the origin of God's creation, men, his relationship with them. If you want to know what's going to happen, go to the Revelation. So, um, what does the Bible say? Look at, uh, let's just start reading. Uh, and by the way, every time you read this book out loud, you get a special blessing. Read it out loud if you hear it. It's really amazing when you uh, think about it. But just look at verse 7. First of all, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. What an amazing thing. 
And then look at the end. Verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now look at verse 12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. To give every man according as his work shall be, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end the first and the last. Crowns of gold. What? So, we will be rewarded crowns of gold. And what is the real reward? To be able to give those crowns to God. Uh, what a... I don't think we can even explain or even imagine the greatness of the joy when that happens. I, I don't even think it... It says it hadn't entered into the heart of man. I don't think we can even imagine the fulfillment of the joy to give those crowns. And you know what it says? When he says, saddle up, boys, to fight the battle of Armageddon and the host of heaven follow him on white horses, on his head were what? Many crowns. He's going to be wearing our crowns to fight the Antichrist and the armies at the Battle of Armageddon. It's unbelievable when you think about it. And think of the sadness that you let somebody take your crown. Or somebody deceived you and you fell and you were beguiled. Or that you let some heretic who was an Antichrist, who denied the Incarnation, the Word made flesh, what a sad thing. Crowns of gold. You know, this will really encourage you when you're hot, when you're cold, when you're hungry, when you're thirsty, when you have an injury, when you're down. Crowns of gold. This will lift you up. All right, let's pray.